The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, I'm Haley Miss, creator of Chasing Hitler, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, okay. break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, and periscoping live. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a good adjective. <laughs> it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 243, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 10th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not taking my top off and puking up hurricanes at the Ash Wednesday Parade, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for Witchpoint.com. I don't know how Ash went. <laughs> you sure don't. <laughs> Just assume it's like Mardi Gras. <laughs> uh, and my name is Joe Patrick at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not getting sent home from work, regardless of how tasteful my Deadpool cosplay was, apparently bringing guns to work is frowned upon these days. <laughs> I am searching for meaning as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Well, unless you live in Texas, there is perfectly allowed. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Second Sight, number one, and Deadpool, number seven. After that, Joe and I will review ten more of this week's comics faster than DC can shelve the Suicide Squad movie during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're talking about next week's comics with a machine man that thinks he knows a secret about Marco Rubio. And finally, we step back into the comic studio to interview a second-generation comic book creator. But... Before we steal ourselves and get ready to ignore yet another new Kanye West record, let's all go buy at least three tickets to Deadpool, because if it tanks, we may never see a rated R comic book movie again. Got that, guys? Is that something that's really important to you? Yeah, absolutely. Some adult, really good comic book movies? F- yeah. And then we'll talk about this week's big news! I don't know what I'm going to get with you. I know. Matt, they said it couldn't be done. Who, who? You can't show that on TV, they said. Oh, really? Well, they were wrong. Did they say that? Yes. <laughs> I, like I think you said that. I said that? Yeah. I feel like nobody says that anymore. Jackie Earl Haley has been cast to play white supremacist Odin Kincannon in AMC's upcoming Preacher series, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Jackie Earl Haley, professional Hollywood ugly crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> Haley will reportedly appear in six episodes of the upcoming debut season based on the DC Vertigo comic book series by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon in the comics. Ken Cannon is the patriarch of a powerful family in Anvil County, Texas, who runs the local slaughterhouse, Ken Cannon Meat and Power. They call him the Meat Man. The Meat Man. For reasons uh, we're not going to go into Okay, in the we're show. not going to spoil why. We're not going to spoil the reason why everyone kept saying it's disgusting. there's no way they're going to show that on television. It was one of my favorite storylines that ran through Preacher. I love it so much. I have a page of the art on the wall behind oh, me. Oh, there's Odin Kincannon right there. Yep, of Jesse, the main character, hanging him out a window and threatening his life. Yes. <laughs> Haley is a fantastic actor. Oh, absolutely. And if anyone can nail this part, it's him. He's no stranger to comic book adaptations. He was Rorschach in Watchmen. He played Guerrero on, oh, the, yeah, he was on Guerrero, the Human Target. On the Human Target on Fox. Which was an excellent show. He's a fantastic show. I'm super excited for this. I can't wait to see what they do it. But I am going to say they're obviously toying with the storyline a little bit because Odin Quinn Cannon didn't really come into Preacher until much later in way the Way later, yeah, way later. Yeah, so if he's going to be in the first season, 
I'm curious to see how they're working him in. Well, I have read a little bit about it, and I think that they have come out pretty much and said, you know, don't look for it to be, it'll be like Walking Dead. Right. Where it's like, yeah, it overlaps some, but really we're telling our own story. Right. So don't look for a slavish devotion to the source material here. They're going to draw from it for inspiration and for characters, and then they're going to kind of go in their own direction. Well, they're nailing it with the casting so far. I'm excited. Me too. What do you seem to understand? I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Joe Patrick, writers Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer, and artist Jill Thompson are reuniting for a new Beasts of Burden one-shot scheduled for release in May, titled Beasts of Burden, What the Cat Dragged In. Joey, no one loved the Beverly Hills Chihuahua franchise more than you. Are yeah. You, are you pumped for more talking dogs? Yes, I am. I love Beasts of Burden. That comic is great. It is so good. And it's not what you think. For those of you out there that have seen a little bit about it. Beast of Burden is about a group of animals, uh, dogs and cats, mm-hmm. that live on Burden Hill, and they are secretly... Yeah, like Burden Hill is the name of the town or something like that? Right. Yeah. They are secretly the protectors of the town, and they protect it from, like, the supernatural. It's really right. cool. And, <laughs> it, and instead of, you know, not in, like, a Scooby-Doo kind of wacky sense it's more of like a hellboy like folk like old-timey monster right and it is there is some humor in there and there is some cute stuff but there's also like real weight to the story and dire straits characters die i mean characters grieve it's this the story first appeared in 2003 i think it was part of the dark horse book of hauntings and the stories have received multiple eisner awards since then the characters were last seen in 2014's beasts of burden hunters and gatherers it was Excellent. What the Cat Dragged In is scheduled for release on May 4th. I, my only problem with Beasts of Burden is it does not come out enough. I know. I'm, I'm sad that it's not more frequently. Right. And I don't even need a monthly if they can't do it. But like, give me one limited series a year, please. This book is so wonderful. These creators, though, they're super busy doing other things. And it just the fact that they make the time. To get back together to do this means yeah. to me that this is something that they really love doing. It's definitely a passion project for them. And I'd rather them, as much as I want to have it all the time, I'd rather them come back to it when they really have something. You know, right. They really want to make the effort for it. The, the way Magnolia handles Hellboy, for example. Yeah, exactly. The official description of the issue is dubbed a perfect entry point for readers new to the series. When curiosity gets the best of Burden Hill's cats and one reluctant raccoon, sleeping demons are awakened and black magic is unleashed on the town of Burden Hill. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's it's a really cool way to tell creepy stories starring, and they're not upright walking anthropomorphic animals. No, they are house legit pets animals yeah. that speak English, but when people are around, they don't talk. Except, <laughs> but you know what? I always read that as like, they aren't actually speaking English. Like, like speaking, we understand that they right. are speaking to each other. They're speaking but, dog or something. But they can't like, like have a conversation with their owners. Owner. Right. But I mean, that's up for interpretation. Who knows? Regardless, this is going to be great. May 4th, watch for it. Beast of Burden. If you haven't read it before, go pick up all the trades. It's wonderful. It's so good. Here's a little bit of news that absolutely made my week. Hannibal showrunner Brian Fuller has been named as the co-creator and executive producer of CBS's new Star Trek series. Announced last November, the series is going to be the first bit of original content produced for their new streaming app, CBS All Access. We have had our doubts about that, but I'm telling you, I would gladly 
pay six bucks a month for a Star Trek show guided by Brian Fuller. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Fuller, in my opinion, is one of the most talented guys working in TV. Absolutely. I know a lot of people didn't watch Hannibal because it sounded stupid. It's so good. Hannibal was amazing. It's so good. There were episodes of Hannibal that really bothered me, really upset me. (laughs) Hannibal is the sort of show that you look at and you wonder, how did this... How is this allowed? Yeah, on NBC. I mean, it was We're crazy. Not, it's not like it's on FX or Stars or even HBO. It is on regular ass NBC. It's a wonderful show. And if you don't want to see his creepy stuff, he also did Pushing Daisies, which was such a beautiful storybook television show. Oh, yeah. So wonderful. He also did Dead Like Me at Showtime. That was the first time I met Brian Fuller, and I fell in love with Dead Like Me. That was Mandy Patimkin. I can't remember the main actress's name. I don't either. But I, it was about a girl that dies. I don't know that she really went on to do him yeah, much I know. of anything. It's about a girl that dies and goes on to find out that the afterlife is really like bureaucratic and boring. And another, yeah, she becomes a Grim Reaper. Another fucking job, right. basically. It so, was so good. In addition to Dead Like Me and Pushing Daisies and Hannibal, Fuller's earliest writing credits were for episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I did not know this. Which everybody r- recognizes as the best Star Trek TV series ever. Oh, Deep Space Nine was fantastic. Uh, he also worked on Star Trek Voyager, which I'm not a, as big a fan of. So in a statement, Fuller said, quote, my very first experience of Star Trek is my oldest brother turning off all the lights in the house and flying his model of a D7 class Klingon battlecruiser through the darkened halls. Before seeing a frame of the television series, the Star Trek universe lit my imagination on fire. It is without exaggeration a dream come true to be crafting a brand new iteration of Star Trek. Just to hear somebody say something like that. That's Sold. A, that's a nerd that genuinely loves his stuff and he's excited. I, oh man, I can't wait. Here's the, here is the most fun part about it. Two or three years ago, I think it was 2013 he did this interview He was, I don't remember the context, like why they asked him this, but essentially he kind of broke down what he would do if he had the chance to do a Star Trek story. And, uh, he got super excited. He's like, Oh, I want to, I'd like, I do a story about the Reliant, uh, the USS Reliant and blah, blah, blah. And I'd cast Angela Lansbury as the captain. Oh my God. No, 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 no. Not Angela Lansbury. Angela Bassett. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you confused it too, right. though. <laughs> and it's so funny. The star of bed knobs and broomsticks. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jessica Angela Fletcher Bassett. piloting uh, a starship. But yeah, so he had all these ideas. He's like, yeah, Captain Angela Bassett piloting this ship in the Federation. First officer, Rosario Dawson. And so all of this was in an interview with io9 or something three years ago. Right. And now the dude is in charge of Star Trek. Oh, man. And... So to me, I think, you know, we talked about uh, this a bit when they announced this about how Star Trek, the movies have kind of as much fun as they are. And as much as I love them, they are certainly different in They've strayed tone. from the spirit of Star Trek a little bit. Right. And more um, to an action film. But I think that the show that Brian Fuller makes is straight up Star Trek. Yeah, it's going to be some nerd stuff. Definitely. I'm excited. Oh, me too. This is great news. And again, this is like the sort of home run announcement that is going to get people like me to say yes i will support this stupid streaming service yeah if it means more of this man i just i hope they're not shooting themselves in the foot by doing this i, I want them to get this out in front of as many people as possible and i don't know it seems like a gamble cbs i wonder and if, i don't want this show to suffer because of your dumb gamble right 
I wonder if they work out a deal somehow where, you know, it'll be like first run for X amount of months or whatever. It's exclusively to the streaming app. Like Marvel Digital. And then right. they like and then and then they put it out comics. on TV. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I hope so. I just hope this show doesn't suffer because of it. Oh man, too many important people working on it now. So. Joe Patrick, the infamous Kevin Smith, is going to have a talk show on <laughs> AMC. I say infamous because we loved him, and then he turned his back on us, and we all hated him, and now he's trying to crawl back into our good graces. <laughs> well, I don't know if he turned his back on us so he much did. as I kind of grew out he of it. He did. AMC has greenlit a new 30-minute late-night talk show hosted by Kevin Smith of Comic Book Men and Greg Grunberg. A Greg Grunberg, a.k.a. the doughy friend in everything J.J. Abrams has ever made. Oh, that's okay. I like him. Yeah, I do too. Tentatively titled Geeking Out. Joey, didn't we as a society decide that we were done with Kevin Smith? I decided as a, as a person that I was done with Kevin Smith. I think it's funny that every time he goes on At Midnight, he loses and loses bad. Yeah, he was on, he was <laughs> yeah, on, on Thursday. Just, yeah, he just lost again. Um, I don't want to make fun of the dude because... I, I used to be a fan. Yeah, our feelings you know, are well documented. When I was when I was in my late teens, uh, I was all about Kevin Smith. He was living the dream. He, yeah. He was everybody we wanted to be. And something happened as I got older and he kept making more movies. It was like a, it was like a the the line graph where it's like Joe Patrick's age. Doot, 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 doot. Yeah. Joe Patrick's interest in Kevin Smith. Doot, 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 doot. <laughs> and they so they cross those, like those do 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 do's for those of you who aren't watching on Periscope are an ascending and descending line <laughs> with an access somewhere right. in there. Yeah, but he has never changed. He is the same person he was He's in 1994. Guy. And I don't care if you want to make some crappy movies, it's fine. I'm more upset with him because he loves comics so much. He came to comics with a bang, wrote some Green Arrow that we loved, wrote some Daredevil that we loved. And then from there, just seemed to stop taking it seriously at all. Left some projects hanging in the wind. Wrote some other stuff that was just terrible and felt like a middle finger to comics and the fans. But regardless of that, we're not talking about that. The series is set to debut this year at the San Diego Comic-Con and air on AMC later in the summer with an eight-episode initial run. According to the press release, the show is going to focus on pop culture through a fanboy lens and feature talk clips, celebrity interviews, and out-of-the-studio segments. So like Conan O'Brien, if Conan O'Brien was focused more around nerd stuff. Sure, I mean, I mean it uh, sounds cool. On paper, yes. It sounds like the sort of show that I would support. And I gotta say, I, I really do think Kevin Smith could be really good at this. Grungberg came out with a quote. Uh, he said, I get all my work from my friends. <laughs> Absolutely true. Now it's time for me to take advantage of those relationships even more. I'm going to get every single genre-based writer, director, and actor I know to come on the show and geek out with us, and they're going to thank me for it. I love how Kevin Smith smells. Gross. <laughs> and we fit together like two hibernating fan bears. Gross. So it's well documented that we don't love Kevin Smith, but I think this sounds great. I think I will watch the first episode Yeah, and judge it from there because comic book Man is a burning garbage That's fire. That's different. That's a reality show piece of shit. This is the kind of stuff I really like. Like Mark Maron's podcast where he brings on other comedians and they just talk shop. I would love to hear these nerds working in Hollywood and in comics sure. come in and just talk some shop and crack some jokes. That sounds great. 
If nothing else, I owe Kevin Smith an eternal debt of gratitude for bringing Ben Affleck into our lives, and that makes my <laughs> wife happy. Stuck a pin in your backbone, spoke it down from there. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THM forums, where you can also find Joe Patrick's Ben Affleck fan fiction. I'm going to warn you, there's a lot of unnecessary shirtless scenes. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, no shirtlessness is unnecessary, Why is Matt? he fighting fires shirtless? That just seems dangerous. You don't want your clothes to catch on fire. On the radio, Every week, Andy to my Conan posts the question of the week on the THN forums. Joe Patrick, tell the kids what we are asking this week. This week's question comes from Elise Wisdom, who writes... Our very own Elise Wisdom. Yes. We own her. <laughs> no man owns Elise Wisdom. She signed up for it, man. Take this job and shove it. I'm having a rough week at work, and it's only Tuesday. She wrote this in December. Okay. We're just now getting around to it. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully she's had a better week. So how about this for a question? What character in comics has the worst boss? Now I want to clarify. It doesn't have to just be their boss at work. It could be like they're a, they're a sidekick and the main character is a jerk. Well, of course. Yeah. Worst boss. Period. I mean, another way, to, I, another way to phrase this question is who is the worst boss in comics? Yeah. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday. February 19th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message at the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 or if you're feeling disgruntled, you can send an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com but keep it under two minutes. Matt's going to cut you off. We tell you every week. He did it to at least two people this week. It's not me. I'm telling you. It's Robot Alec Baldwin. And also, some of you are playing fast and loose with the deadline. You know who you are, first time, long time. Emailing your shit in at like 10.30 at night. <laughs> If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums, and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the Ziggurat, where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Joey. What comic did you decide to pick on this week? This week, for reasons I can't quite describe, I chose Deadpool number seven. Yeah. Lord knows we haven't heard much from that character lately. Yeah, I know. Uh, and that's probably part of it. Deadpool is from Marvel Comics. It's written by Jerry Duggan, Cullen Bunn, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There are, there's lots of creators. It's 96 damn pages. There are lots of different artists. Uh, Scott Koblish, uh, Mike Hawthorne, uh, Tyler Crook. It's crazy with artists. It's $10, $9.99 American. 96 pages, man. You've got to pay for that business. And here's the solicit. 25 years ago in February of 1991, the New Mutants encountered a blabbermouth mercenary who tore through Xavier's mansion and into the very heart of the 90s. Now that self-same degenerate is one of the most popular heroes in the world, an Avenger, and maybe the smelliest and grossest person that Tumblr swoons over. <laughs> that might be true. Okay. Come see how Deadpool reacts to life at the top of the world. Hint, he does not handle it well. We've talked about him on the show a fair amount, and he's a character that I used to really enjoy, then kind of grew apart from, kind of like my relationship with Kevin Smith. <laughs> it sounds like we're picking a fight with Kevin Smith now. <laughs> Look, 
if Kevin Smith wants to come on this show, <laughs> I would love it. I will pretend like I didn't say any of that. Yeah, we'll be we'll be his biggest fan. <laughs> Every so often, I check back in with Deadpool, and even when I enjoy what I see, I don't really feel compelled to stick around. If that makes sense, you know, I'll, I'll read and go, eh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's why I was so surprised that I liked this issue as much as I did. Deadpool number seven is billed as the 25th anniversary issue, but it's really just a celebration of the current status quo. Deadpool has gone from reviled mercenary to beloved celebrity hero. Thanks to the actions of another Merc trying to make a buck off of his name. Now Poole is famous and wealthy enough to fund the uncanny Avengers his brand has grown so much that he recently decided to franchise, as Matt discussed not long ago in his review of the terribly titled Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, number one. Not long ago being all the way back to last week. Was it just last week? I couldn't <laughs> yeah. remember if it was last week or two weeks <laughs> it ago. Was, it was THN episode 242. Okay. In this 96-page beast of a comic, we get a fun lead story where Deadpool runs around getting back at those that wronged him in the silliest ways. Like they made fun of his face or they spoiled Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince uh, while he was waiting in line outside the bookstore. The thing is, his repeated head traumas mean that his memory isn't the best. So he keeps on going after the same people for the same offenses <laughs> without realizing it. Like he attacks the hand the hand ninjas like once a week and they're like, oh my God, why? <laughs> like, Why do you keep coming back? We don't even know what we did. <laughs> Jerry Duggan's script is really funny, and artist Scott Koblish, I'm not super familiar with Scott Koblish, uh, but I think he he steps into Tony Moore's shoes really well. He looks like he went to the Tony Moore school of drawing, which is not a bad thing. No, absolutely not. There are six backup stories, each focusing on one of Deadpool's hired mercs, guys that are a who's who of forgotten 90s characters like Terror Inc., Slapstick, Fool Killer, and my personal favorite, Solo, whose whole deal is that he's a mercenary and also he teleports. Yeah, he carries two Uzis and teleports for no reason. Hates terrorists. Oh, yeah, he does hate <laughs> terrorists. Yeah. So other than the slapstick story, which I found to be just okay, and I, I wanted to like it more because it's written by my beloved Ben's Acker and Blacker. Oh, really? Yeah. And I just that, I thought that was the weakest of the story. It was fine, but I don't give a crap about slapstick. I think it, that yeah, of course. Stupid. Uh, but otherwise, I thought the backups were excellent. Yeah, the terror one was great. Yes, Harrow County, uh, the Harrow County creative team of Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook tell the unexpectedly tragic origin of terror. Yeah. And it's like this sword and sorcery barbarian thing. I didn't know any of that. I didn't either. You know why? Nobody read Terror Incorporated. Right. Like these characters are a snapshot of quarter bins in the late 90s. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, Tim Seeley and Mike Norton. Uh, Battle Pugs, Mike Norton. Yes. Also of Revival, of course. They add an interesting twist to Stingray's involvement with Deadpool. Yeah, I really like that too. Yeah, and so when I saw the Mercs for Money thing and I saw that Stingray was part of it, I was like, but that guy's an Avenger. Why is he doing that? Yeah. Well, now I know. There you go. Mike Hawthorne delves into the origins of Massacre, the most mysterious of the Mercs in a story told primarily in Espanol. <laughs> Amy Chu and Emilio Lazo tell the hilarious Story of Fool Killer going back to school for his degree, wearing his costume the entire time, <laughs> and actually like filling out applications by writing Fool Killer in the name. <laughs> it was sort of like a fun take on like the villains in jail type thing where they let them all wear their costumes. Right, right. <laughs> like, of course, he'd wear his costume to college. 
Finally, Deadpool pays a visit to Solo, the man who stole his identity to pay him back for his newfound notoriety. That one was written by Jerry Duggan, art by Phil Noto. Yeah. Who does not love that guy? So when I saw that this was promoted as Deadpool's big anniversary issue, I was expecting the creators to lean a little bit more on nostalgia and even throw in a couple of reprints. Instead, they delivered 96 pages of original content, and it all ranges from pretty decent to legitimately great. It's outrageously priced at $9.99, but it's triple the content of a normal issue for less than the cost of three comics. I saw the movie on Thursday. Maybe I'm just riding high, but I might actually go back and catch up on what I missed, at least with the current volume, the previous six issues. I'm giving this a buy it. I thought it was great. It's it's really hard for me to give it a buy it with a ten dollar price tag. But it's if you buy gotcha. if you went into the comic store and bought three I comics, totally it would cost you twelve bucks. I totally agree, and I'm giving it a buy it. And I was shocked. I I, I just the ten dollar price tag does freak me out. It's hard, but I yeah, this was really good. And this, while yeah. I don't give a shit about Deadpool being an Avenger and stuff like that, in fact, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it too. But they are kind of fleshing out that story a little bit, and it's making a little more sense. And if they treat the all these characters like these lame characters with this much respect in the regular book, I might be on board. I didn't love the first Mercs, you know, for money or whatever. It was just a little too silly. But I think if they dial that down a little bit and make it more like these backup stories, I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, it's it sort of captured a feeling similar to what I loved about the Joe Kelly Deadpool. Yeah. In that it was goofy and funny and it had a lot of jokes, but also it had a depth to it. Yeah. There was a little heart to this. Right. Heart. And yeah, it just, it caught me in the right mood. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So Matt, what $10 comic book did you pick? <laughs> Mine's a little cheaper. <laughs> I went with Second Sight, number one from Aftershock, written by David Hine with art by Alberto Ponticelli. It was 24 pages for $3.99, which doesn't sound like a lot. But no ads, probably. No ads. David Hine is British. I did not know this. I bring it up because the yes. story of Ray Pilgrim, a disgraced psychic remote viewer who can actually see through the eyes of the killers he's tracking, takes place in London. And while reading it, I was thinking, man... Hein writes a killer British accent, and he really gets life in London. It turns out, yeah, it's because he's British. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just didn't know. I've been a fan of Ponticelli since I first met his art in the pages of the 2008 Vertigo Unknown Soldier relaunch. He's refined his style quite a bit since then, and he reminds me of Steve Dillon, if Dillon was any good at drawing backgrounds. Ponticelli is great here, putting real personality into every character in his book, and like I mentioned... His backgrounds are fantastic. They're not jump out like stunning, hyper detailed, but he's just really, really good at setting scenes. Our hero, Ray Pilgrim, in the past helped police solve several murders using his remote viewing powers when he was younger. It's not totally clear what actually happened during that time, but later Ray would be blamed for one of the murders and the famous hotel room he was found in is now referred to as the Bloody Chamber. It doesn't seem like Pilgrim went to prison, but writer David There's Hine... There's more to that story that yeah, I think they're going to fill in. He's That's my next sentence. But writer David oh, Hine sorry. is still fleshing out his mysterious history. Ray has been a curiosity at best and a victim of the tabloids since the incident. Now his teenage daughter is writing a blog that's implicating some of London's most powerful 
in a child rape and murder ring known as the Wednesday Club, and she needs her dad's help to prove it all happened. It sounds like a lot for 24 pages, but Hein really does a great job introducing us to Ray while simultaneously setting up his mysterious past and complicated relationship with his daughter. This isn't just the story of an old psychic called back for one more job. It's a story of a daughter trying to reconnect with her father, a man dealing with a haunting past, and something else really weird that happens in the end that I'm not going to spoil. I have a theory about that, and you and I can discuss it. Okay. I'll just say that Second Sight was another great read from Upstart Aftershock Comics with solid art. I'm really interested in this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, David Hine has written a bunch of great stuff. I believe, if I recall correctly, he had a, a foray into the X-Men universe. Yep. Uh, right after like House of M where they were doing that, the 198 type I think type it was stuff. right about then, yeah. Yeah, Hine's so, really, I like David Hine. He's really good. I don't think he got enough play when he was at Marvel, honestly. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. There is a lot of plot in this, but it never felt like they were just jamming it in as fast as they no. could. It was just expertly paced, very well told, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. It's creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. That ending was pretty freaky, and it made me... Like, I had to go back and look like the very what first. certain characters looked like on yeah. certain pages, yeah. if you know what I mean. And just to kind of, like, figure, try to figure out what the hell was happening on those last couple yeah, pages. Because there's something that happens in the first two pages that directly connects to the end. Yeah. And makes you go, oh, wait a minute, what? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. It caught, it had my attention. And when it was over, I was like, well, what ha- what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, I'm giving it a buy it, too. I really want to see where this goes. So that is a double buy it for Deadpool 7 and a double buy it for Second Sight number one. Moon's been in a really good mood today. Heck yeah, I think it's all the sugar I'm drinking. Now it's time for you disgraced psychics and mouthy mercs to play critic. So remote view your way to thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of these comments. In the wake of Deadpool's Valentine's Weekend dominance in the theater, shame on you nerds that forced your significant other to go regardless of how attractive they find Ryan Reynolds. DC is rumored to be reshooting several short scenes of each of the Suicide Squad cussing and getting naked to score an R rating. Luckily, Matt and I have infiltrated Warner Brothers to find ourselves in charge of editing the footage. I'm going to need a little more time with this Margot Robbie footage. Just So go ahead. You <laughs> go ahead and go home. I'll take care of it. you need to be alone? <laughs> so join us as we point, click, trim, and digitally add enough blood and boobs to get this piece of crap some press. All while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed. Go. Shaft. Imitation of Life, number one, from Dynamite. Detective John Shaft is back in this new series by David Walker and Dietrich Smith, and I am super glad. We both loved his first miniseries last year. It was great. And Walker picks up a few months later after a big-time case has raised Shaft's profile. Dietrich Smith does a great job on the art, but I do miss Bilkis Evley's slightly grittier style. Like, this is very clean-looking. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I mean, it's good. good. It's well-drawn for sure. In this issue, we get the origin of Shaft's iconic mustache. Which we've all been dying to know. Yeah. And we, like, it actively bothered me for the whole first series <laughs> that he did not have that <laughs> mustache. And we learn that he is not the most socially enlightened guy, which 
kind of surprised me. And I found it very interesting and fitting considering the time period. Yeah, it's the 70s, man. I get it. Like the song says, he's a complicated man. And no one understands him but his woman. That's right. Shaft, imitation of life number one, gets a buy it. Badger, number one, from Devil's Due. As stated in last week's episode, I loved Mike Barron's Nexus work in the 80s so much that I actually picked up the old Badger comics when first put them out. I don't remember having a huge affinity for the character, and I may have romanticized the old stories in my head, but now I remember why. The Badger is an updated here, but still pretty much the same old Badger. He's a war vet taken for prisoner in Afghanistan that loved animals, suffered from multiple personality disorder, and kicks ass in a costume as one of those personalities, the Badger. Oh, and he can talk to animals too. But can he, or is he just imagining it? Well... They do stuff he wants them to do. Okay. And he sometimes calls people Larry. And he's nuts. And I'm pretty sure I didn't like the story back in the day either. Badger number one was just trying too hard. It gets a leave it. I mean, I don't get the Badger at all. Yeah. I don't know who it's for either. Jonesy, number one for Boombox. This is yet another hyper cute all ages book from Boombox. Home of titles like Teen Dog and Lumberjanes. Man, I wish I could have more Teen Dog. I do too. Come back, Teen Dog. Here, artist Caitlin Rose Boyle teams with writer Sam Humphreys. Oh, hey. Whose work I'm more used to seeing in the superhero and mature reader sections. Jonesy is a big-haired Latina girl full of sarcastic sass and a secret power to make anyone she wants fall in love. Just not with her. Oh, bummer. <laughs> yeah, it is a bummer. Which she uses to wreak havoc at her school on Valentine's Day. It's light and fun, and the art and colors by Boyle are super vibrant and expressive. I'm not really sure if that I'll keep reading, but it was a fun first issue that fits right in with the Boombox line's other offerings. I'm giving Jonesy number one a very strong skimmit. Just wrong audience for you, probably. Yeah, I mean, not every book is aimed at me, and that's totally fine. Sure. Deus Ex number one of five from Titan. Titan is going for it in the video game comic adaptation department. I've enjoyed what I've read of their Assassin's Creed stuff, and Deus Ex wasn't bad either. I only played the first Deus Deus Ex back in 2011. The new one is good. So I didn't remember the mythology, but even if you never played the game, writer Alex Irvine sets the tone and the world instantly. The art by Marco Torini captured the first-person shooter feel of the game very well, without being cheesy, I might add, and moved the action along swiftly. Even though the whole issue is one big hostage crisis, there's plenty of story here, and I might have to play the second Deus Ex before the new one comes out. I'm giving Deus Ex a buy it. ANAD Avengers, number five from Marvel. (laughs) Did you like how I wrote that phonetically? (laughs) I've been pretty down on this book since it started, but I find that it's slowly growing on me like a fungus. And this issue was my favorite so far. It doesn't help that Mahmoud Asrar's stellar art is an order of magnitude better than Adam Kubert's was. Yeah. Something is not right with the vision, and it's kind of creepy. And just when you think the team is starting to come together as a unit, it all falls apart. This doesn't really feel like the Avengers to me, but I do like this collection of heroes. The mysteries are compelling. The art is awesome. And the book gets a little better every month. Anad Avengers number five. It's a buy it. Yeah, like issue four was the first one that I went. Yep, the second pretty good. The second they switched artists, I was like, hey, I get it now. Yeah. (laughs) The Dark and Bloody number one from Vertigo. The Vertigo Renaissance goes on and on and it don't quit. This is a new horror series that takes place in the Hollers of rural Kentucky. Vic Boone writer Sean Aldridge introduces us to an Iraq war vet trying to make ends meet 
for his expecting wife and son running moonshine in a dry county. But it seems something from his time in Iraq followed him home and lies waiting in the woods. A solid setup for a creepy story with really good art by Scott Godlowski, who also draws Copperhead. Great book at Image. Given this a buy it. It was a little slow, but they're introducing some stuff, and I think this is going to be a good long-form story. Way to go, Vertigo. You kick an ass. We're going to have to like create a whole new genre category for like Deep South slash Appalachian <laughs> horror. <laughs> There's a lot of scary <laughs> down there, certainly. Yeah, really. Tinker, number one from Overground. Man, I had a tough time with Tinker, number one. I thought the story by John Hughes, not that John Hughes, sounded pretty fun. A young girl genius obsessed with superheroes tries to reverse engineer their technology until she can become one herself, but of course, with disastrous results. Some of that promise is delivered here, but there were a lot of inconsistencies that kind of took me out of it. There's a huge part of the plot about the organization that manufactures the super tech that's never really explained at all. They mention it. There's the, like the little intro page, like the recap page at the beginning. They mention it. And then one of the characters mentions it in the book, but they never explain what it is, why this organization makes this crap that creates superheroes. None of it. Then there's a bizarre moment where they break the fourth wall that comes out of nowhere and it never happens again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and unfortunately, I found Rachel Uldrix's art to be kind of hit and miss. There were some scenes where I could see what she was going for, trying to de-emphasize some elements to draw attention to others, but it just made some pages look unfinished. There's potential here, and I do like the premise, but I think it stumbled a bit in the execution. I'm giving Tinker number one a skim it. Guardians of the Galaxy number five from Marvel. Something is wrong with Guardians of the Galaxy, and I can't put my finger on it. I don't like the Bendis version. The solicit here lists this issue as a major status quo change, and... Yeah, I guess it was, but anyone reading this title knew it was going to happen. There's something just missing in Bendis' Guardians, and I I don't love it. He still hasn't sold me on why the Thing is on the team. Do we need three big hitters on one Guardians team? I mean, really? Something needs to connect them and give me a reason to keep reading, and if it's not in the next issue, I might be done. There was, there was something about the Abnet and Landing Guardians of the Galaxy that was really special. Yeah. Uh, and and it, maybe it was something more, about why the how the characters interacted. And, uh, was, I think it was just they had more of a purpose. I don't get what the purpose of these Guardians are at all. This just seems like an excuse for these five or seven characters to be in the same space together. Right. I'm giving this a skim it. If it doesn't get better by next issue, I'm done. Flash 48 from DC. I stopped reading around issue number 12. But I like to check back in with The Flash every year or so, just to see what I've been missing. In this issue, writers Robert Venditti and Van Jensen are leaning on one of my absolute least favorite tropes in comics. Well, don't worry about it, because they're both fired. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that is where people in positions of authority inexplicably view the hero as a menace slash criminal, despite loads of evidence to the contrary, all the while accepting help from actual supervillains. We'll call it the J. Jonah Jameson effect. There you go. I get what it's supposed to accomplish with the role reversal and all that, but it is a tired device that stopped being novel in the Silver Age. The art by Jesus Marino and Colorist Guy Major is very nice, and I see that there are some interesting developments happening with the new Wally West, which piqued my curiosity. 
As sad as I am not to be invested in the current incarnation of The Flash, though, nothing here really hooked me enough to keep going back or to go back to what I missed. I'm giving Flash 48 a skim it. It's not bad. Oh, okay. I was like, you just trashed it. And you're giving yes, it a skim I know. It? It's very competently made, which I know is faint praise, <laughs> but like I see the merit in it. It's printed and legible. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like I see the merit in it. It's got good elements. Okay. But. I just, I read it and I was like, I don't care. Low, number 11 from Image. This is the beginning of a new storyline for Rick Remender and artist Greg Tokini's underwater sci-fi epic. And it is just as mesmerizingly beautiful as I remember. I fell off after issue six of Low, but I definitely plan on jumping back on with this series. Low is the story of a family at its most desperate and the bizarre setting and far future tech never interferes with how human this story feels. I love this comic. I am mad at myself for losing track of low. I'm giving this a buy it. I will say, you've got to start at the beginning. You have to. Start at the beginning, work your way through it. It is such a wonderful story. Badger! That is your ludicrous speedrun and Badger! Is the onomatopoeia of the week and also the only thing Norbert Sykes could say after escaping his Taliban captors and walking out of the Afghani desert as seen in Badger number one. It was weird. There's nothing Joe and I love more than a wacky jingoistic pep rally, and the GOP debates have not let us down yet. No, sir. However, while watching, we started to notice some curious behavior from the boyishly handsome Marco Rubio. So we called our buddy, Aaron Stack, the Machine Man, to watch the latest GOP debate in our Sanctum Sanctorum, which we've converted into the THN Situation Room. We've got a hologram Will I Am. This is THN. According to Machine Man, Senator Rubio is also a robot, but he couldn't even pass the simplest Turing test, and the GOP has definitely been infiltrated by sinister robots. Joe, while Aaron and I discuss a virus to take down Mr. Rubio's AI matrix, why don't you tell the kids about your must-read pick for next week? My pick for next week, if that was the question that you asked that after all of that, is Power Man and Iron Fist, number one, from Marvel Comics, written by David Walker, with art by Sanford Green. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Let's get this out of the way real quick before I read the solicit. I do not like Iron Fist's new costume. I'm it not looks crazy like about it either. It looks like the Iron Fist version of the Swoot, invented by Nick and Schmidt on the New Girl, which is a suit made out of jogging pants material. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the Swoot. Look it up. It's hilarious. The original Heroes for Hire back on the street. Nope. Clock. Back on the clock. <laughs> we know you've been waiting to see Luke Cage and Daddy Rand back together and back. To street stomping basics. There are so many capital letters in this <laughs> yep, solicit. Gotta scream them all. Power Man and Iron Fist are tracking a mystery with all the ingredients of a classic Heroes for Hire tale. Expect old friends, hired goons, crime lords, weird magic, plenty of power, a flurry of fists, and as much bromance as you can handle. It's Power Man and Iron Fist reunited, and writer David Walker and artist Sanford Green are making it feel so good. <laughs> I think it's the only place in the world where you're allowed to just like drop all caps into something. <laughs> like, how is this a sales tool? Who, who is convinced by capital letters? I don't know. I am excited for this book, though. Me too. 
I love Power Man and Iron Fist. Uh, is it weird that he's going back to calling himself Power Man? I don't know. I don't care. Or is he calling himself Power Man? Are there are people going to call just, him that? Just are they just back using the title? Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Uh, I don't even care. I love Luke Cage and Danny Rand being bros. Yeah. And doing stuff together. It's when I read about those characters and they are separate. The whole time I'm thinking, man, I wish the other guy was here. They're really just going to have to wash away that last Iron Fist series. Iron so. Fist, the Immortal Weapon? Man, uh, that went balls out nuts. <laughs> look, we'll see. I didn't read it, so it's all It was it's all crazy. Good. I will say it was beautiful to look at and very interesting, but it was not Danny Rand. <laughs> What's your pick for next week? I'm excited for Starve, number six from Image, written by Brian Wood, with art by Daniel Zazelj, or Zelda Zelzedge. Or Zalajajajaj. Zalajajaj. <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. New story arc! Critically acclaimed Starve is back for a second season. Chef Gavin Crookshank shifts his focus from the soundstage to the streets, addressing real-world themes of food scarcity and class warfare. Smart, submersive, and darkly comic, Starve is an instant cult classic. They're not wrong. This book is so good. You can pick up volume number one, which collects one through five right now at your comic shop. It's only 10 bucks. Go do it. This is such a fantastic book. There's nothing like it on the stands. Brian Wood is so good at this real world, near future uh, commentary. And man, if you liked The Massive, if you like DMZ, you will love this book. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Revenger Volume 1. Children of the Damned trade paperback. <clears throat> Children of the Damn It. Children of the Damn It. <laughs> From Bergen Street Press, written and illustrated by Charles Forsman, who I think should go by Chuck. I think it should be Chuck Forsman. Okay. It's 144 pages for $14.95. What a deal! Here's your solicit. When all hope is lost, and those who meant the most to you have been ripped away, there is only one moment left to you the moment of revenge. Out of the darkness, stalks a blood-soaked nightmare, cloaked with the scars of her righteous mission. In this, the first collection of Chuck Forsman's self-published abattoir, whoa, those who do evil will find themselves faced, finally, with the hungry maw of justice! I helped fund the Revenger on Kickstarter. The reason I picked Revenger, other than that whole deal... It's good stuff. Revenger is being put out by the same company that brought you Michelle FIFA's Cobra. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing. It's really, really good. It's, it's, it's exactly like Cobra in the sense that it is a particular sort of story that has been done a million times before. Right. But done in such a beautifully simple, wonderful way. Yeah, It's almost like, because these guys were amateurs when they came into it, they came into it with a different perspective and no one was forcing them to do it the same old way. Yeah. And, and it is a bit amateurish looking in the art and because it's just done by one person that's hammering this stuff out, but it's so well done. Yeah. It's such a great book. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to have a collected version of it. Yeah. I've been getting uh Revengers in the mail for helping uh, fund it. Nice. Joe, good news. Not only did Machine Man and I find a backdoor into Robo Rubio's personality matrix, which kind of sounds like we went through his butt, but we also <laughs> hacked into his motor reflexes. Check it out. I'm Marco Rubio. I'm patting my head and rubbing my belly while I approve this message. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is too good. Make him punch Trump so hard his hair falls off. Oh, Joe. 
You think so small? Well, Joe and I fixed this election with our own personal robot Manchurian candidate. Why don't you head over to the THN forums and tell us about your pick for next week? Every now and again, Matt and I actually convince a real comic book creator to sit down with us in the comic studio. And sometimes it doesn't ruin their career. Sometimes. This time, Matt and I sat down with Haley Nitz, the niece of writer Jai Nitz, to talk about her collaboration with her uncle, Chasing Hitler. Haley is a 16-year-old high school student and ambassador for the Girl Scouts, which we learned is extremely badass. It's like one step below Eagle Scout if you're a boy scout, right? She's almost at the pinnacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is her first foray into comics. Why an intelligent, young plucky 16 year old girl wants to go into comics I don't know but god bless her why would she want to throw her life away like this <laughs> Haley welcome to the ziggurat hi I'm Haley thanks for having me can you tell us a little bit about your project I got the idea in world history class freshman year to play off of the the death of Adolf Hitler how it was never confirmed so I decided to I came home and we started playing what if and it just got the ball rolling from there. I started taking notes and going through old files and stuff. So the the premise uh, from what I gathered from the uh, Kickstarter is that you've got these two soldiers mm-hmm. uh, and they are investigating. They are looking for this guy that everyone assumes is dead. And that's kind of yeah. the, the kickoff point for the story, right? Yeah, the kickoff point is there's one British and one American paratrooper. And they are sent to confirm the death of Adolf Hitler. Whenever the circumstances surrounding that are a bit sketchy, they take chase and that leads them all over the place. And you gotta, you gotta fund it for one to see. There you go. Excellent salesmanship. Uh, So this is just the first part of a longer story. And so you're hoping to be able to fund enough to do, more than just the one comic, right? Yeah, that's the hope. If I could make it into a, if I could get it picked up and make it into a monthly issue, that would be like my ultimate goal right there. Have you been, are you a comic fan in general? Like we touched on it briefly. You, you are the niece of Jai Nitz, who is a professional comic writer. Um, mm-hmm. We've done a bunch of his books on the show. We, we loved his dream, dream thief. thief was really great. Um, and so he's working with you on this. And so, obviously, you grew up with his influence, I'm sure. Have you been a comic book fan for a while? or? Uh, yeah, actually, I don't, I've don't. i never really read comic books that much, but the comic book-based movies, I've always loved those. I'm a huge geek about all that. My best friend and I, we actually went to Comic-Con this past year, and we geeked out. That's the San place. San Diego. That's the place to do it. Do you meet anybody cool? Uh, I met Alexander Ludwig, and she met Bella Thorne. And we both got to meet Stan Lee. That was really exciting. Okay, maybe you lead off with that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You said those other two names, and Matt and I looked at each other like we we had no idea. Who were the first two people you named? (laughs) We are Uh, old. Bella Thorne was on Disney Channel. Okay. And that's why we loved her. And then Alexander Ludwig was in The Hunger Games. He was Cato in The Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Petty Officer Patton in uh, The Lone Survivor, and that's where I love him from because The Lone Survivor and American Sniper are my two favorite movies. Really? 
She loves mm-hmm. the military oh, stuff, man. Fair enough. Fair enough. And he's in Vikings now. I forgot about that one. Oh, I love Vikings. Love that show. Yeah, he's the son of Ragnar Lothbrook. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good looking guy. We're on the we're all on the same page now. <laughs> it all comes together. This is what happens when we interview sixteen year old girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a different world, man. <laughs> so your uncle Jai is kind of uh helping you with this, right? He's collaborating with you. Who else is working with you on the project? Uh Jethro Morales did all the inside ink. Uh Greg Smallwood did the cover. He's a Marvel exclusive. Yeah, we love Smallwood. And Marie Anger did the colors and then Chris Crank is the letterer. Yeah, I looked at the preview pages. Uh, your dad sent us a bunch of pro- uh, like work in progress stuff. It looks really cool. Is your dad like your PR guy? Uh, yeah, because I don't really have any social media except for Pinterest. So you could follow me on Pinterest. Hey, all right. But that's as far as my social media goes. Good for you. That's good, too, because you don't have to pay your old man, you know? Like, what's he going to go on strike? <laughs> you going to represent one of your friends? What's he going to do? So about the Kickstarter. So you've got a little over two weeks to go, 17 days as we mm-hmm, record 17 this. 17 days left. Um, you're not quite to the goal, but you're rapidly approaching it. Uh, can you tell everybody a little bit about what kind of rewards you're offering and things like that? I do know that we have this weekend, we're doing a Deadpool special. Another, uh, There's an artist, John Lucas. He is actually a Deadpool artist. He donated four sketches for us to give away, the, not give away, uh, to have this weekend. For, do- uh, for uh, rewards. That's cool. Yes, for rewards. Sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so is that just through this weekend? Um, I think we're posting them this weekend, but they'll stay up there until they're all gone. But until we've only somebody, got four, okay. so. No, cool. that's great. That's great. So your Uncle Jai, what is his role in this project with you? Is he, like, co-writing it with you? Yeah, I came up with the kind of outline. I actually imagined it kind of like a TV show in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote down all the ideas and got it all kind of laid out. And then he came in and we laid it out as a comic book instead of as a TV show. And then he got to writing it. And now we have the finished product. So you, so you created it. Uh, yeah. I mean, that is a very good analogy, the TV show idea. So you're, you're sort of, uh, you run the show, you came up with the characters and the ideas and everything. And he's kind mm-hmm. of like, he's just scripting it, putting the words in their mouths and things like that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So if you didn't like his ideas, would you have fired him and gone with a different creator? Be like, I'm sorry, Uncle Jai, but uh, this is just, I think we're going <laughs> separate just, directions here. It's just not working out. Yeah. You know, and I, I've been talking to uh, Charles Soule, really nice guy. I think we're going to go with him, you know? <laughs> yeah. If that would have happened, I probably just would have made him change it. Fair enough. <laughs> That's a good call. I mean, you are in charge. And again, you don't have to pay your uncle. This is brilliant, man. There's just nobody creative in my family. Otherwise, I'd be forcing them to do this stuff, too. Like I said, there's 17 days to go. Uh, There are lots of great rewards. These Deadpool sketches are awesome, but you can also get uh, copies of the book. There's PDF copies, copies of the physical copies of the book, black and white and colored mini prints. The Deadpool sketches are up there. And then we have the original art by Jethro. Awesome. This is so cool that you get to do this. And we're really proud of you. The book looks awesome. We're going to have. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. We're going to have our link to the Kickstarter in our notes so that all of our listeners can go and throw money at you. I hope this is huge, but I'm telling you, kid, don't go into comics. There's no money in it. All right. TV. That's where the money's at, baby. (laughs) 
Well, Haley, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you again, Haley, for coming inside the comic studio. We hope it wasn't too creepy for you. And I'm sorry for all of the racially charged humor from Matt. And smell. And the smell. <laughs> you can go to the show notes for this episode. You know how to find them. You go to tootedinner.com and you click on the damn post and you'll see the show notes. In the show notes will be a link to Haley's Kickstarter. Or you can go to Kickstarter and search Chasing Hitler. Or you can just go to Google and type Chasing Hitler Kickstarter and it'll come right up. Some other weird things will come up too. I wouldn't click on them if I were you. <laughs> it'll say Chasing Hitler Kickstarter by Haley Nitz. Yeah. Like she said at the end of the interview, she's got uh, just over 2,000 left to go. 17 days left as we record this. Help her reach the goal. This book looks great. And thank you to her dad, Eli, for getting in touch with us, sending us all that awesome preview stuff. He's like the hardest working guy in comics PR, and I don't think he's even getting paid. I gotta love it. Yeah. Love that dedication. Sort of break it down like this. And that is it for the President's Day episode of THN. If you dig podcasts with hosts that aren't afraid to identify themselves as both old-school Rob Leefield fans and Democratic Socialists, you can subscribe to the show everywhere quality podcasts are offered. And while you are there, we need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, your hearts, whatever you can do, because it lifts us in the search algorithm and helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Please help us out there, guys. Thank you to all of our donors. You are the only thing that keeps this nerdy barge afloat. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply click the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. That is not an exaggeration. Yeah, our campaign is in trouble. And if you want to keep us on the road, <laughs> we need your money. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, hit us up with an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. We promise we're very reasonable. It's true. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com. There you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, Skype, and, of course, the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. This is how... You guys can get on the show and interact with us. We love it when you do. And you know what? I spent a little time last week adding some new links uh, to the website. So now on the front page where all of our outgoing links are, uh, you've got links to our stuff like our Twitters and our Tumblr and whatnot. You've also got a Friends of THN section. Oh, cool. And so I've added uh, Carl Smith's new podcast, Goat Kicker, uh, Dr uh, Dungeon Crate, uh, Kevin Coffey's gaming blog, Crit for Brains, nice. who had an article this week on the site. The Omni Bros are back on the site. Omni Bros are back on the site. It wasn't really an Omni Bros thing because they did not review an Omnibus, but I love that name. They're still Omni Bros. Yeah. <clears throat> and this time they added our buddy Joel Ballard. Hey! I haven't seen in uh, like five years. Yeah, I haven't either. Missed that guy. Had a kid, man. Him. He had a kid and disappeared from the face of the earth. That's what happens. Kids ruin everything. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Baum's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Henry Rollins on his 55th birthday. He's only 55. Word to you, Mr. Rollins. You have been rocking my world for as long as I can remember. I'll bet Joe. Black flag. Oh, hey! I Come was going to call you out for not knowing what band he's in. That's impressive. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might come over and break all your Rollins band records. This is the Two-Headed Nerd.
Salam. Salam.